Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Happy 4th of July weekend to everyone out there. Happy birthday, America. And uh, thank you, Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton Pullman. Matt, which one is it? I think it's Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Thank you, Bill Pullman and Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum for saving us from the alien invasion. And uh, also, I, I noticed tonight, Matt, that the the great Tim behind the board experiment is put on hold this week. Yes, just this week. Just a, <laughs> oh, thanks. I got to go back again next week and do it. But uh, yes, it is on hold this week because we actually have a guest in the studio with us tonight. Joining us in the spooky studio is Keith Johnson, paranormal investigator and demonologist for New England. And I'm. Um, uh, New England Anomalies Research Great. near Paranormal.com, but known more for being involved with demonology in, in over the years and, and being kind of our go-to guy when it comes to this topic. So we had to bring you in tonight, Keith. Well, I'm glad to be here. Very glad, and thanks for inviting me, Tim. It, well, we're always happy to have you. And we know that, uh, you know, in the demonology circle, you know, you come across a lot of different people and work with a lot of different people because... There's not a lot of resources out there for you to trust. I mean, these days, with everybody becoming a demonologist within their paranormal group, you know, you've established this network of people that you go to. And uh, we've got somebody tonight who uh, I know is very excited to talk with you. Dr. William Bradshaw is our guest tonight, and uh, he is joining us on the phone now. Uh, he is an ordained minister, uh, former college president and chief financial officer and fundraising specialist. And uh, he is the author of a new novel, Sinister Among Us, which combines all of those uh, jobs that he's done along with uh, his interest in demonology. He's a graduate of the University of Missouri and Yale Divinity School, and then he earned his Ph.D. in the field of demonology at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. He was introduced to the study of demonology by Matthew Black, a renowned Scottish scholar, and we're going to talk to him about that and how he got involved with that as well. But uh, now his new book is out. It's called Sinister Among Us. You can get it at SinisterAmongUs.com or right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And now let's go right to the phones with Dr. Bradshaw. How are you tonight, sir? Just fine, Tim. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to be with you on your program tonight. Oh, we're happy to have you. And, and I've been reading the book, and I have to say I'm really uh, impressed by the way that you've been able to make the idea of demonology and demon possession so easily Understandable for something that I think gets a lot convoluted when you try to explain it to the layperson. I think you've done a great job of making it accessible. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it really, uh, the book came about. I eat, uh, I eat lunch with a group of uh, men every Wednesday, and for some time they've been saying, you ought to write something for the layperson. And I say, well, it's kind of complicated, and it's not all that interesting. And I remember my dear grandmother, when I would write something, she would read it, and then she would say, you know, it, 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 it just really is good, but somehow I go to sleep when I'm reading it. And so uh, I didn't 
I didn't want people to go to sleep, so I put it in the form of a novel and knew that they might not remember any, uh, everything about demonology, but if they got the storyline and the novel, then they would remember uh, all about demonology, and it really was meant as a 101 course on demonology for the layperson. And we've seen in, in other novels by other writers the idea of introducing uh, demonology as a as a storyline, as a device. But usually it's kind of something that, you know, somebody might do a little bit of research, contact somebody such as yourself or Keith Johnson and get a little bit of the background information. But usually they're not somebody that's so well-versed and, and even holds a doctorate in the in the subject. It's more just, you know, they're using it as a device and maybe getting a little bit of advice on the outside. So this might be, at least in what I've seen, the first time somebody's used that kind of experience in the story uh, without having to go to outside sources. Well, there's no question that... Uh there are many real-life experiences in the book, and I say in the preface that although uh, it is a novel, uh, yet uh, the research uh, is not uh, fictitious. It's for real. And I, I get the feeling that the main character of Dr. Bradley Green is just a, a thinly-veiled kind of version of yourself. That's probably correct. And did you find that a lot of these other characters are inspired by people that you know? Obviously not the, the sinister ones, but... <laughs> A lot of these other people that you've encountered uh, in your life, did you kind of work them into the story as, as a way to uh, help explain things? Yes, I did. Yes. Uh, that was a little uh, problem for the publisher because they uh, wanted to make certain that uh, somebody would not feel that he or she had been uh, mistreated in the novel or uh, their reputation defamed in some way and get them in a lawsuit. And so names and places and uh, occupations have all been changed. It would be hard to trace the person, but yes, uh, they are traceable by me. And, and uh, the character of Will Brent, who is the, the actual demonologist in the book who helps Dr. Green, is that based on somebody that you know, or did you kind of just split your knowledge into two different characters? No, that would uh, be somebody that I know. Well, then I, I think that you know that's a, a character that somebody can actually be pretty flattered when you when you say, hey, that's kind of based on you, you know, yeah. <laughs> instead of some of these uh, these other unseemly characters that are in the book. I mean, just the, the things that you have going on in this college, uh, I, I just can't imagine to, just a place could actually exist with that much evil going on. And it just seems like, you know, at every turn, there's something going on behind the scenes there that, that people, for the most part, weren't aware of. Uh, every incident that is uh, explained in that part of the book actually has happened, I know for a fact. Wow. Kind of makes me uh, think that I missed out on a lot of things when I was in college. <laughs> you know, or if we had a keg party, we thought we were being, you know, rebellious. But uh, some of the things that go on at Cypress College are a lot more unseemly than that. Yes. Now, when, uh, when you bring into this book a lot of your experiences in education, too, it, did you find that uh, a lot of others in the education field kind of were worried about you bringing the idea of demon possession into a college campus? No, I, uh, I haven't run into that, although uh, demonology in the United States is not a subject that's uh, thought of as being very academic. And I suppose the uh, more of the problem that I've run into is, you know, why in the world are you writing about this? Or 
or how did you get started uh, being interested in such a subject like this in kind of a scornful way and wondering what's wrong with me that I would be interested in uh, in this kind of a subject? Well, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'm not going to ask you in a scornful way. How, how did you become interested in demonology? Happened in 1961. Uh, I uh, went to University of St. Andrews. That was only 16 years after the end of the Second World War. And uh, reliable, uh, reputable scholars in Europe, especially theologians in England and in Germany, were asking, is is it possible, or how is it possible, that man in and of himself could be responsible for the terrible atrocities of the Second World War, especially uh, relating to the Jewish people? Mm-hmm. And so uh, people were beginning, serious theologians were beginning to say, is it possible that uh, Satan, uh, the devil, evil spirits were involved uh, in uh, influencing uh, Hitler? or uh, any of the evil forces uh, during the war. And I uh, was uh, there at the time, and I became interested in the topic, and I was the first American to look at this topic, and really probably the only American for some time to look at that, and one of the earlier scholars in uh, in. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s to look at this, whether from the United States or some other place. And so that's how I really got started with it. And, and at the University of St. Andrews, you earned a doctorate in demonology. What's involved in, in that process? I mean, was it kind of, uh, you know, you're studying within the school of uh, theology or divinity, and then you kind of branch off into an independent study in demonology, or were there actually courses being taught in this? No, uh, there uh, there are two things. Uh, first of all, a Ph.D. must be original research to, uh, to to qualify for a Ph.D. degree. So so it had to be in uh, uh, in a field. It uh, certainly could be in a field where there had been work done, but it needed to be original work being done. Okay. The other thing to keep in mind is that at the University of St. Andrews, they not merely uh, they not they did not merely want you to become uh, an authority in in your subject, but they really were just as interested in teaching you uh, the techniques of research so that you learned how to research any subject and the rest of your life you could be a good scholar with uh, with uh, with researching. So I had that combination of uh, learning to research and at the same time covering a new subject. There were no courses on uh, on demonology. I didn't take any course on demonology. Well, uh, I think too these days uh, with the Vatican coming out and saying that you know they they need more exorcists, we might see more courses pop up at at schools with both a religious nature and a and a non-religious nature as well because it's something that people are definitely putting more attention on, and I'm sure that you would agree that it seems like there are more demonic forces at work in the world today. Um, um, yes and no. It uh, it depends upon how you define demonic uh, forces, um, whether you are using that in a generic way to talk about evil or whether you're actually uh, using it to refer to 
the force of demons, individuals, uh, active bad spirits under the control of Satan or the mm -hmm. devil. Well, I mean, you don't think that they necessarily have to be related? Evil can exist outside of these demonic forces? Yes. Yes. Very definitely. So, do you see a rise in that more, you know, man-made evil than anything else? Uh, I, uh, I certainly see a, uh, a rise in, uh, in that. Being a, uh, a biblical scholar, uh, I uh, go back to the very first story uh, in, uh, in the Bible of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, many people say that the snake in the, in, in the story was uh, the devil or was Satan. There's absolutely no indication that in the original Hebrew that this was the case. But this is very uh, germane to just what you've said. The story to me is that uh, God creates man and woman. He gives them a free will. He tells them what he wants them to do, and they decide not to do it. And God comes back, and uh, God says, you know, Adam, what have you done? And Adam says, oh, it's not my fault. Eve talked me into it. And Eve said, oh, it's not my fault. The serpent talked me into it. And so uh, the end of the story is that God held, uh, gave uh, man, the human creature, a freedom of will, but holds the human creature responsible for his own actions. And uh, I think what you have in the world today is a freedom of the human creature uh, kind of gone amok. Uh, we're really taking advantage of it and going full steam ahead on being... Uh, uh, very um, self-centered and doing what we want and paying little attention to uh, what God says, I'd really like you to do. We've just kind of gone the direction we want to. And some of that is just man's bullheadedness, while I think many times it can be attributed to demons or to the devil or to Satan, but not all the time. Sometimes it's just just man being too too human. And I think sometimes when that happens, when man is being too human, they tend to blame the demonic or Satan for this or, or try to look for that as an excuse or a rationale for what's going on. Well, there's no question about that. And there have been a number of legal trials uh, through the years where somebody has done something wrong and they've uh, used as a defense that they were demon-possessed and that they weren't, uh, that they weren't responsible the last one that I know of, uh, it was, I think, in 1988. It was a murder trial in Philadelphia, and uh, they put on a very strong defense. But I have never known of any legal trial in any country where the person who was accused of a crime uh, was found not guilty using the defense that the devil was to blame. Uh, it has never worked, to the best of my knowledge. And I think it would be, uh, you'd have to have the devil himself take the stand for that to actually happen, I think. <laughs> so, now you do all this uh, work uh, in studying demonology, both biblical and non-biblical. Uh, what are some of the differences between the two? There isn't that much, really, in as much as, uh, as far as I can determine, that really sense the uh, early Christian era, uh, during the 
actual days uh, that Christ was here or soon after him, since then uh, there have been no really new techniques of, uh, of uh, casting out demons or the study of demonology. Up until, up until then you had different ideas coming across, but since then there's been nothing really new that hasn't been talked about before. A lot of it is a revival of old techniques as well. Yes. In recent times. Yes. But nothing really new has come to the field that I know of uh, in the last uh, close to 2,000 years. Yeah, but if it works, why change it? <laughs> that is true. If you're getting results, then I guess uh, that's what works best. We are talking with Dr. William Bradshaw, demonologist and author of Sinister Among Us. You can check out more information about the book at SinisterAmongUs.com, and we'd like to take your calls as well, 508-996-0500, Why don't we take a break now, Matt? When we come back, we'll talk more with Dr. Bradshaw and Keith about the subject of demonology. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. Courtney loves happy now. She finally made it on to Spooky South Coast. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, silent assassin Matt Costa, and our guest tonight in the studio is Keith Johnson of Near Paranormal. And uh, we are talking with Dr. William Bradshaw, demonologist and author of Sinister Among Us. And we have a call on the line, so let's go right to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. William Bradshaw. How you doing? Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. Um, this is Lisa. I'm in Mashpee. Hi, Keith. It's Lisa from NEP. Oh, hi. How are you doing, Lisa? Fine. How are you? Very good. Very good. It's good to hear you on the show. Hello, everybody. Um, hi. My question, I guess it's for everyone there, I'm, as far as reported um, cases involving demons, do you think that there really are more cases now or if, if the popularity of ghost hunting and paranormal research and just everyone's awareness of, of the paranormal community is making this more of a mainstream issue and that's why there's more activity reported now. Personally, I think there's more activity because it's being brought to the forefront and expounded upon more in the media and I think that of course that uh, cautions people but on the other hand it also draws more people in that find this subject fascinating and interesting and of course they want to experiment with it too so I think it's it's both sides of the coin in that way Dr. Bradshaw your thoughts? Yes uh, there is no question uh, as I say uh, in in uh, in the preface of my book, that interest in demonology ebbs and flows uh, all the time, depending upon circumstances in the world. When people are really hurting, when there's been uh, terrible atrocities, when there have been uh, human tragedies, when there has been uh, 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 earthquakes and hurricanes things like that, and people are, are struggling to find answers, they turn to the study of demonology. In good times, the interest in demonology disappears. And after the Second World War, 
uh, there was some interest, and then through the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s and 80s, the interest dropped considerably. Uh, then, uh, as things have happened, and especially now with the terrorism, uh, war in the Middle East, uh, the uh, hurricanes we're uh, facing, uh, the uh, problems with weather, interest comes up. And, and uh, my belief is that when things are bad and people are struggling for answers, that's when interest in demonology comes to the fore. And and one observation I'll make, Lisa, to add to that is, with your comments uh, that you said, you know, regarding the popularity of ghost hunting and, and shows about ghost hunting, I think that as that becomes popular and it becomes kind of mainstream, there becomes the need for people to kind of differentiate themselves from the pack, and so they might t- tend to go into demonology or try to go into demonology as a way to differentiate themselves from the usual paranormal investigator, and they might mistake a lot of activity for being demonic when it isn't necessarily, and therefore it makes it seem like there's more demonic cases out there. I completely uh, agree with that. uh, There there is a real difference in my mind uh, with the study of ghosts and the study of demons. A ghost uh, I would uh, define as the spirit of someone who has lived on earth and died and the spirit has come back now to uh, communicate with the person where a demon never was in the form of a human but was always in the form of a spirit and uh, so uh, there would be the distinction between studying uh, ghosts and studying demons. But as, as I'm sure Keith can tell us, there's kind of a fine line when you're investigating that uh, where the the uh, demonic will cross into the field of paranormal research. That's that's exactly right because we're asked this all the time. When does that leave off? When is it a just? It's just a mean mean spirit, and when is it something that's just something that's never walked the earth in human form as we understand humanity? We're asked that all the time. So what's your feelings on that, Dr. Bradshaw? Well, uh, first of all, when you're dealing with spirits, whether they're good spirits or evil spirits, there's absolutely no way to prove that a spirit exists. I can't prove that God exists. I can't prove that Satan exists because, uh, by their very definition, a a spirit, uh, you uh, can't uh, touch them, you can't... uh, taste them, you can't smell them, and so uh, you have to judge whether or not spirits exist by the activity and the impact on humanity. Sometimes there are things that happen that are so absolutely wonderful and glorious that you just have to believe that that's beyond man, and so we think of a good spirit. And the Christian calls that good spirit God, uh, as do the Hebrew people. Uh, And uh, yet there are times when there are things which are so atrocious and so awful or just so plain dumb that you uh, have to assume that, that man is influenced by something beyond himself, and we call those evil spirits. And you can't prove it. Uh, you just have to uh, uh, 
leave it one way or the other, and uh, how you believe will uh, certainly uh, play a big impact on the final conclusions that you're bringing up about uh, this whole subject. All right, well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. And take care. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. William Bradshaw. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you? Spooktacular. I have a question for Doctor. How you pronounce? How you spell his name? Bradshaw. B R A D S H A W. B R A B S H A W. Yep. A W. I like to know the title of his book because I just tuned in. It's uh, Sinister Among Us. Sinister Among Us. I like to get the book. I have a question because uh, I'm a Christian and I listen to your program often when Thank I you have a chance I enjoy it Thank you. Um, how do you recommend anyone to deal with the evil people evil spirit because I've been battling that all my life in this country people that they don't they, some of them proclaim to be to know God but they um, as I can um, like you say the doctor when you say that when we are we uh, um, we get we become scholar by by researching and by um, listening to people and see the action how can you handle as a Christian how can you handle people like that uh, it's uh, very difficult, and uh, uh, there's no question that uh, some people uh, are uh, just, uh, as we were talking earlier in the program, sometimes a person is just plain mean and ornery and bad. Amen not to necessarily demon-possessed. Mm. There are others who are demon-possessed, actually controlled by an evil spirit. Mm. And so you, you know, uh, how you approach somebody is, is uh, different. And, and one of the great problems that we have in the field of demonology is determining, is somebody really just very human and therefore being sinful sometimes, or are they actually possessed by a demon? Uh, how and you how can you tell, though? Hmm? How can you tell? Well, there are certain symptoms, very definite symptoms, that a demon-possessed person has. Now, people are going to uh, sometimes uh, really, uh, when I uh, mention some of these, they look at me as though uh, uh, they've been with me until then, and then, and then I uh, lose them. But I can tell you absolutely, I have witnessed these, I have seen them, and uh, they are for real. Here are some of the symptoms. The person who is demon-possessed, uh, when they're really being uh, controlled by the demon, the, the skin on their face will begin to tighten, and all of the wrinkles will leave their face. And uh, this doesn't mean that if somebody doesn't have any wrinkles, they're demon-possessed. Uh, it may just be the way they are. They may have had a good plastic surgeon. Yeah, do some Botox work. will help that, too. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, that is uh, one of the symptoms. Uh, another is uh, 
that they will speak with a rapid-fire, machine-gun-like delivery, and many times using unrecognizable words. Coming from the Ozarks, uh, southwestern Missouri, uh, I've been uh, exposed to speaking in tongues where people are very religious and they will speak in these languages that you don't uh, understand. Uh, you, you have this rapid-fire, machine-gun-like delivery using unrecognizable words similar to speaking in tongues. Uh, they will use very peculiar and exaggerated hand gestures. Their hands and arms are going to be waving, and yet uh, there's no emotion. There are uh, not subjects. You know, when we get all excited, we will... Uh, drive our point home by uh, uh, sticking our fist in the air or pointing our finger, but uh, you'll have these peculiar and exaggerated hand uh, gestures accompanied by no apparent emotions. Uh, uh, They will uh, be haunted by terrifying dreams, and, and, and this is very strange, but I have witnessed it. They will be able to speak fluently one to three foreign languages that they have never studied. They've just never studied them. They will have an uncanny knowledge of future events. And uh, I was uh, involved, this, uh, this is a very complicated thing, and I can't get into sources and what have you. But, sure, we understand. But a, a person uh, described in absolute detail what was going to happen to Robert Kennedy when he was assassinated in uh, in Los Angeles. And just to the key, and nobody paid any attention to him, and it happened, and there was never any indication that he knew of a plot or he was part of a plot. Uh, but it's, it's this uncanny knowledge of future events. Uh, they will also sometimes experience uh, strength far far beyond what you would think that a person of their particular size and muscular uh, uh, build would be able to exhibit. They will uh, experience um, moments of attention deficit. Uh, Sometimes they will appear to uh, suffer from symptoms of schizophrenia. They will trust absolutely no one. Uh, they will be just as rational as can be, and all at once, just at the flick of a finger, they will become mean and vicious, use terrible language, uh, will uh, become just uh, a terrible person, and change back just as quickly. And uh, those are some of the symptoms, and they are for real, and that doesn't mean that if you have any of these symptoms, you are demon-possessed. It may be some uh, other cause, but they are symptoms. When you see those, to pay more attention and look more deeply into whether or not this person is actually demon-possessed or is just very, very human. Dr. Bradshaw, I've seen that personally in cases of demonic possession, Two characteristics I've seen as far as the facial change goes, what I call the comedy and tragedy mask. You know, like you see in theater, the comedy yep. mask and the tragedy mask? Yes, where a person, oh, they'll, they'll actually... The name of Jesus. I'm, I'm sorry? 
they will act, they'll actually look like they have received a facelift and uh, they'll either be smiling or frowning but the eyes will become very darkened and blackened and very squint like and the face will be seen to be pulled back and it will resemble either a comedy or a tragedy mask interesting Caller, does, does this sound like any of these people that, that you know? Do they fit um, any of these descriptions? Yes, yes. I've been through, um, through these kind of people, and I've been facing them. I, I'm trying to stay away from certain people. Now, you mentioned that a lot of these people that you have come in contact with claim to know God. Um, is, hey, some of them go to church. Okay, is that what you meant by that? That yeah. they mm-hmm. they claim to be, you know, working in in his favor, but actually seem to be working against yes, him. Yes, they um, see like they to me um, they 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 don't practice what they preach mm-hmm. preach, and they um, they they pretend being a being a Christian. Well, now you have brought up a very interesting point. Uh, many people assume that if a person is demon-possessed, they are a bad person. They are inherently evil, uh, that uh, they want to create problems and they want to do all kinds of bad things. Actually, in most instances, just the opposite is true. We believe that Satan targets those people who are good people, those people who have the potential to be great school teachers, great clergymen, great politicians, great news analysts, great this, that, and the other, and uh, and people who are good at heart, if Satan can interrupt those kinds of people, he interrupts good things happening on earth and in God's kingdom. Yeah. And so the, the, the person may well say that... Uh, and uh, the, the person may well try to live a good life and try to do good things mm-hmm. and believe that he or she is totally Christian, but then Satan moves in and demons take control and the person is unable to do what he or she wants to do. Yeah, but what I don't understand is when these people pretending, they pretending being good people, to others, but to certain people, the ones that's close, they close to, they try to um, to diminish and humiliate them, and try to make to put them down. Are we related, ma'am? Huh? Are we related? Sounds like you're talking about my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, but but what I can... would say is, it may well be that it's not the person, but it is the demon. Mm-hmm. Using the person, I believe it, and therefore uh, the uh, the uh, the person is unable to uh, control him uh, or herself. What can you do to help the certain people to to help these people as a Christian? What can I um, I pray and and wish that I can change them? What can you do to help this? This gets into the whole business of exorcism and uh, having uh, uh, the the demon cast out of the person so the person becomes whole again and free from the power of the demon in his or her life. 
I can't wait to get hold of your book. <laughs> well, uh, it is not that profound, really. But uh, <laughs> can but, we get a local um, bookstore? Sure. Are you are you online, ma'am? Do you have uh, access? No, to I don't. Okay. I I deal with the uh, Baker book. I'm sure they'll be able to get a hold of it for you. Uh, yes. Baker has it. Barnes and Noble. Uh, any of the major bookstores, Christian bookstores, and if mm-hmm. if they don't have it in, in in stock, they will go to their computer and bring it up, and uh, they'll have it to you in three or four days. Thank you so much, because uh, what a nice program, and uh, you explained it so well. Thank you for calling. And I Thank respect you very much. your knowledge. If you run into any trouble getting a hold of the book, just give me a call some week, uh, you know, in a commercial break or after the show, and, and I'll make sure that... We can help find your copy. I'll do that. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so very much. Have a great night. Bye. That's nice of you, Tim, to offer to help the people. Thank well, you. We always try to because it's it, in our neck of the woods here. Uh, you know, we live in puritanical Massachusetts, where sometimes it's hard to. And there's a reason why I say puritanical because it it should sound like tyrannical. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we sometimes run into trouble with people being able to get a hold of some of these books, and and a lot of our. Older listeners aren't really online. They don't have access to, to sure. Amazon and SpookySouthCoast.com where we have links to purchase all these books. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we try to do the best that we can to help them get a hold of the material. Now, it's interesting, too, that uh, she was she was saying that, you know, she wants to do something to help these people when a lot of people will kind of just turn their back on somebody they think might be possessed and say, I don't want to get involved in this. You know, i got to stay away from this as much as I can. But you can kind of see that good Christian attitude in her where she wants to do whatever she can to help them out. Uh, how receptive are people who are possessed to getting this help if the demon isn't in control? I, I, I compare the demoniac someone who is uh, possessed by a demon very much like the alcoholic. Uh, you can't, for example, I can't say uh, to somebody, uh, you know, uh, I wish you would cure my son who is an alcoholic. The, the person has to want to be cured of alcoholism. Same thing with demon possession. I can't say, look, uh, my, uh, my uh, uncle is demon possessed. Will you cast that demon out? The person has to want to uh, have the demon out and believe that it is possible to have the demon cast out for an exorcism to take place. We are talking with Dr. William Bradshaw, a demonologist and author of Sinister Among Us. SinisterAmongUs.com is the website for the book. We have another call here on the line. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. William Bradshaw. How are you? Hi. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I was laying down and just got up. I was listening to him, what he was saying. Uh, Dr. Bradshaw. What's his name? Dr. Bradshaw. Dr. Bradshaw. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Yes. My girlfriend, she's on balance, okay? And everything that you say is true. She's on balance. The next minute, she's okay. The next minute, she's not okay. Uh, like she says, well, I love you, but she's not in love with me, but I'm in love with her. Okay, that's one. All right, two, you say something about God, okay? Now, when I was on the Cape for 16 years, the guy was working in, in the bank, and he wanted me to go to the church and talk to the people, but I didn't know which way to look at it. So when I came back to New Bedford, Massachusetts, 
I asked God what he wants me to do. And he said he wanted me to say prayers for the homeless and sickness now. Now listen to this one. Now, the first one was my mother. My mother had cancer. And I prayed and prayed so much that I had lockjaw. Well, after that, he didn't have no more cancer. Number two, at Brooks, I have a friend there named Tony. And he told me about his wife that had cancer. She's going through the operation, going in the hospital. So I started saying prayers right away. Now, the minute I say my name, he knows me. He chose me. He knows my heart. And I said the prayer for Tony. A week and a half ago, I seen him. He said his wife don't have no cancer no more. That's number two. Number three, when I start saying prayers for people, it can be Walgreens, books, no matter where. The sickness comes to me. He brings them to me. And when I say the prayer, I tell them to stay around for a minute. So I asked them, after I say the prayer, how do you feel? He said, I feel great. Five seconds. I've been doing this since 99. No matter who it is, if it's over the phone, I know lawyers, courthouses, it doesn't matter. That's my job, and he gets the glory. So so you're saying you're almost like the, the opposite of somebody who's kind of demon-possessed. You're kind of angel-possessed and able to exactly. do good things. Exactly. So Noah, he chose me, and now he knows about my girlfriend. He knows about me, but Linda, when I, when I showed her love and caring, I know a lot of nice people. I mean, nice people, I don't even know I meet them. Lawyers, no matter who it is, where they come from. If they got a problem right on that spot, and he hears my name where I'm at, I say, stay with me a minute. Five seconds, they feel great. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, absolutely. There has to be a balance for, you know, if there's going to be demonic in the world, there has to be people such as yourself that can bring light to the world as well. Exactly. So there must be more people. But but he chose me. Mm -hmm. So that's my job, and he gets the glory. So, doctor, I want you to answer, no, it's on balance. she got more problems than that. Maybe sometimes she's nice, sometimes she's not... I heard you say it. So you think can that you maybe she, on it? you think Dr. she's being influenced by by these demons? Is that there really there is there is no way for me to be able to answer that over the telephone. Mm -hmm. uh, you you have described some symptoms as I said a few minutes ago that uh, would make you be concerned and uh, would uh, have you uh, give it some serious thought. What happens so many times, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this at all, somebody is sick, somebody uh, has mood swings, uh, right. somebody uh, suffers from one thing to another, and they go right. to a doctor, and a doctor diagnoses it, 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 it as some scientific problem, uh, it may be hormone unbalance, it may be right. this, that, or the other, and they uh -huh. diagnose it as that, 
and yet the person doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so the person will change right. doctors, and then they'll end up going to a counselor, and then they'll end up going to a psychiatrist, and they keep getting no response, oh, no exactly, action. Exactly. And Not that's like when you begin to say it's not a medical problem. Uh, there's something more serious going on here, and that's when you become very suspicious that it is demons at work. Right. right. Well, thank you for calling in. Doctor, one other thing. Everything you said, I'm I'm not a doctor, but I got a big heart, and God knows that. I was raised rough. Everything you said was true. I said a lot of prayers for her. So many times God touches her my friend's over the phone and she wants me to say the prayers my mother believes in me and I know I don't believe in counselors maybe it'll help other people but I believe in God a million times over so he chose me so I say the prayers for her and it does happen but when she's with me she talks nice but I don't believe in counselors and I don't believe in I'm therapist. I only believe in God. Well, nah. maybe maybe more than just yourself can handle. I mean, if it if it's these demonic forces that are at work, I, you know, it might be more than just one man can handle on his own. Well, one other thing, I was blessed once, and John Paul II, somebody gave me the cross, and maybe you can answer this. I never seen John Paul, John Paul II. The guy that gave me the cross, he was already there. I never been there. I see him on, I see him on TV. He gave me the cross when John Paul II that he blessed it. Okay. Now, now I'm a Catholic, but it doesn't matter to God. You know what I mean? And I close my eyes now. I see him, and I see Moses. Now, can you answer that, a doctor? Uh, Dr. Bradshaw. I'm, I'm Dr. Bradshaw, yes. Sure. Thank you. Or many, I think many people feel that they talk with God and see visions with God. Right. All right, well, we're going to have to move on because we've got another call coming in. We want to squeeze it in before the news. Okay. Thank you for sharing thank with us. Thank you, and God bless you, uh, Doctor. All right, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. William Bradshaw. Thanks for waiting. How are you? Hello there. I'm well tonight. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Can you hear you well, fine and clear, Carl? <laughs> how do you know it's me? Uh, how, how do you I know wonder it's... how I know. I wonder this how, isn't Carl how I Johnson, this is uh, somebody else. No, it's Carl. Hello there, everybody. Hello, Carl Johnson. I have a question I'd like to address to Dr. Bradshaw. Uh, well, actually, two questions. Um, does the doctor feel that human spirits and demonics are totally separate categories, or can they sometimes merge? Are they fundamentally different, totally separate types of beings, or can there be a crossover? Can a human spirit sometimes perhaps degenerate into a demonic or assume, assimilate demonic influence, if you know what I'm saying? Can they meld? I would say no, that they are separate. They are are totally separate. Now, a human spirit can be greatly influenced by a, uh, by a, a demon, by an evil spirit, okay, so they become so they become very much like the evil spirit, or 
the evil spirit so controls the person that you can't tell the difference between what the person is doing and the evil spirit is doing, but they remain separate. Hmm. Okay, so there's always a distinction, but yes. you're saying a disincarnate human spirit can be influenced by a demonic. Entity. Very definitely. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, also, can a demonic... There's a tradition that holds that a spirit can hide in a mirror, in a reflective mirror, a reflective service. Do you believe a demon can reside or hide away in a mirror, a household mirror? Well, the, the, the problem is we as humans, the very definition of a spirit is that it's invisible. So we don't really know where it's hiding and where it is. We don't see evil spirits. We cannot, uh, we cannot contact an evil spirit with human senses. Uh, we don't smell them. We don't taste them. Uh, we don't uh, feel them. Uh, and so uh, you can't uh, really know where a spirit may or may not exist. And they could be sitting in the chair right with you, and you wouldn't see them. Because yeah. by their very nature, they are invisible. Right, so perhaps it's if they choose to make themselves apparent. I, I've had people report to me that they've seen spirits in the background, in a mirror image, and then they'll turn around. They won't see anything. They'll look back to the reflection, and they'll see the spirit again, particularly with demonics. So I don't know if there's a tradition that holds that demons are attracted to mirrors. I think I they're just playing that. mind games myself. When, mm. they, when they do that, I think they're playing mind games with you, but right. it is a theory. I have not heard that, Keith. Have you heard anything to that uh, nature? Yes, I have. I've actually had investigators do experiments where they're trying to record off a TV to see if they can get like a reflection, a mirror image, to see if they can bring out the spirits with very, very limited success. But I have known investigators to uh, try that. All right. All right well, it's, we're rather, I'm sorry. it's a scary concept. It's rather unsettling to think about, but I have heard that. All right, well, we're coming up on the news, and I know the phones are lighting up with more calls, but uh, we have to take a break for the news. When we come back, we'll do our new segment, The Week in Weird, and then we'll come back with more on demonology with Dr. William Bradshaw here on Spooky South Coast. Thank you. Spooky South Coast is burned. I see you shiver with anticipation. Well, we're waiting. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and demonologist and paranormal investigator, head of New England Anomalies Research, 
Keith Johnson. Check them out at nearparanormal.com. And in just a bit, we'll get back into the discussion about demonology with tonight's guest, Dr. William Bradshaw. But before that, we have a few announcements for you. Uh, the Open Doors Learning and Healing Center Gift and Bookstore, 395A Washington Street in Braintree. They've announced a, a bunch of new events coming up, and you know a couple of them Matt Moniz and I have personal stake in, so we thought we'd let you know about them. Uh, first of all, coming up on August 8th, Cryptozoological Mysteries in Massachusetts, presented by our friend Chris Pittman. That'll be Friday, August 8th, 2008, from 7 to 9 p.m. Tickets are $25, but if you purchase before August 3rd, they're only $10. Chris will be speaking about cryptozoological mysteries in the state, sightings of what appear to be animals living in our forests and swamps. He'll be talking about the places where these sightings have taken place, and will share stories of his personal investigations into these often remote and grim places. He'll also discuss his own theories and the conclusions he has drawn from his research and investigations. Uh, he'll talk about things like Bigfoot and other cryptids in the Bridgewater Triangle, historical and local accounts of other cryptids in other parts of the state, Massachusetts Bigfoot sightings, legends and folklore, and his own personal on-site investigation into places where Bigfoot sightings were reported. And then on August 18th, I'm sorry, Friday, August 16th, uh, we have from 7 to 9 p.m., also $25, but if you prepay ahead of time, $10. We Are Not Alone, a presentation of visitation. And I'm going to let the guy who's actually presenting that actually tell you what it's going to be all about. It's actually going to be about the history of life visiting this planet from afar. And uh, I will be presenting various PowerPoint presentations of what the record has been left over the past couple of million years. Hopefully uh, everybody will get a chance to enjoy the presentation. And we also have Mr. Weisberg who will be uh, giving classes himself. Yeah, this is uh, something a little bit different and unique in terms of the paranormal. Uh, every Wednesday through the month of August we're going to be presenting Introduction to the Paranormal. It's a four-week course uh, designed for beginners who know that there's something going on out there but don't know how to go about explaining it. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take the course as three classroom sessions. Uh, they'll be from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on those Wednesday nights. Uh, the first week we'll talk about, you know, the differences of hauntings and uh, the different types of paranormal activity. The second week we're going to talk about what types of evidence you can capture and what equipment you can use to capture. They're also going to have some stuff in the store for sale if you want to buy your own equipment as well. Then the third week, we're going to talk about what if you want to start your own group? What kind of procedures should there be? Uh, you know, what kind of investigations should you do? What are some of the things that you need to do before you get on site? You know, a lot of people just try and grab their camera and their tape recorder and jump into this. So I've been lucky enough to take classes taught by Keith Johnson and Kristen Gartland and others, and I've taken a lot of what they've taught me and tried to present it for people uh, in a way, you know, that even the most raw beginner can can get involved with and then the fourth week what we're going to do is we're going to put all that they've learned together into one investigation at a location nearby in Braintree and I can't really get into a lot of details about that location right now because we're still finalizing things and even even then it's kind of something that we're not going to make public uh, per se because of the nature of where this location is but um, it's a very emotional haunting I'll, I'll just say that much and uh, the class is it's $150 which is it's pretty steep, but if you prepay by July 31st, that's only $125. But understand that a portion of this is going to the 
location uh, where we're going to be doing the investigation and the fact that it's you know a nonprofit organization and this donation will help them in the work that they do uh, and also you know you're getting essentially you know a, a month-long course in the classroom for that as well so right mine is just a presentation of you know what the historical record is up to date and what, so where we are now Matt's not going to give you any tests or quizzes right. I'm going to give you tests or quizzes so <laughs> there you go that's uh, a couple of things going on and then on the Saturday, August 16th, from 6.30 to 9.30, uh, for $40, or you can prepay by August 11th and pay $25, there will be a seance conducted by Diana DiMartino, Linda Marie, Linda Gibson, and Elizabeth Russell. This is something that they do every two months at Open Doors, uh, where people get together, and, and this group holds a seance, and energies come together, and the spirits speak for the people that are in attendance. So if you'd like to sign up for any of these events, you can give them a call. 781-843-8224 or go to their website opendoors7.com that's opendoors the number 7.com the Open Doors Learning and Healing Center Gift and Bookstore 395A Washington Street in Braintree Mass so make sure you sign up and if you do let me know let me know that you're going to be at the class or at Matt Moniz's presentation so we can make plans to say hello alright what do you think think we can uh, get a little weird here More bad news. Oh, darn technology. Oh, I got a great show for you today. It's so wonderful. Oh, yeah. 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 I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> yeah. The Week in Weird. All right, our first story comes from abcnews.com. Thomas Beatty, the transgender man who made headlines as the so-called pregnant man, gave birth Sunday to a healthy baby girl, ABC News has learned. The birth at St. Charles Medical Center in Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. I'm just... There's, there's a joke there to be had, but... Probably having something to do with gender. Yes, the bending of a gender almost. Anyway, the birth was natural, according to a source, who added that reports that Beatty had a cesarean section are false. She's really cute, really pretty, the source told ABC News Thursday afternoon, talking, of course, about the baby. The source said Beatty was resting and the family was focusing its attention on the new baby. Born a woman, the 34-year-old Beatty had his breast surgically removed and legally changed his gender from female to male. He leaped to prom... He sh- he leaped to prominence around the world in April when the wispy-bearded man revealed he was pregnant. Despite years of taking hormones and living outwardly as a man, Beatty maintained that he retained his female sex organs because he intended one day to get pregnant. I actually opted not to do anything to my reproductive organs because I wanted to have a child one day. I see pregnancy as a process, and it doesn't define who I am, Beatty told Oprah Winfrey in April. I feel it's not a male or female desire to have a child. It's a human need. I'm a person, and I have a right to the uh, have a right to have a biological child," he said. Beatty was caught on tape leaving the hospital, but he was not carrying the infant. A woman who appears to be a nurse carried a combination car seat baby carrier with a white blanket over it. Beatty walked a few yards behind her. The new dad walked easily, although he appeared tired, and despite the warm weather, he wore a white hooded sweatshirt along with sunglasses and black shorts. Someone opened the car door for him. Beatty was impregnated with sperm from a donor. His wife, Nancy, inseminated him at home with a device she said was like a syringe without the needle. They bought it from a veterinarian, and it was typically used to feed birds, not a turkey baster. Don't make that joke. 
So there you are. I'm, I'm, I actually want to offer my congratulations to Thomas Beatty and his wife Nancy on the birth of their child. I, I don't think this is a funny matter. I just I think that it's an amazing thing to happen, and I'm, I'm happy that as a society that we can accept. This I don't really think it's that amazing. Well, because he was originally a woman, oh. so he had the, so. the parts to do it. I don't know. Just, I was more impressed by the fact that a man gave birth and it wasn't to a submarine sandwich. Like on the Cosby show. <laughs> that was a good episode. It was. Alright. Matt Costa, what do you have for us? Alright. Hymns are being replaced at funerals in one Australian city by popular rock classics like Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven and ACDC's Highway to Hell. A cemetery manager said Wednesday, At Centennial Park, the largest cemetery on crematorium in the southern city of Adelaide, only two hymns still rank among its top ten most popular funeral songs, Amazing Grace and Abide With Me. Leading the funeral charts is crooner Frank Sinatra's classic hit, My Way, followed by Louis Armstrong's version of A Wonderful World, one statement said. The Led Zeppelin and ACDC rock anthems rank outside the top ten, but have gained ground in recent years, as more Australians give up traditional Christian hymns. Some of the more usual songs we hear actually work very well within the within the service because they represent the person's character, Centennial Park Chief Executive Brian Elliott said. Among other less conventional choices were Always Look on the Bright Side of Life by, the Mon- by Monty Python, yes. Ding Dong the Witch is Dead, Hit the Road Jack, and Another One Bites the Dust. That story comes to us by the AP. You know, a lot of those songs, it's like, it's even if I was at a funeral and I heard those as a funeral song, I'd be like, yeah, it's kind of lame. You know, that's kind of <laughs> expected. It's almost as lame as, you know, using a, a standard, well, I'm not saying that using a hymn is standard, but it's almost as commonplace as using a standard hymn. I think if it's in Australia, naturally they should use Timey Kangaroo Downsport, the <laughs> Rolf Harris classic there, and start it off with, you know, tan me hide when I'm dead, Fred, tan me hide when I'm dead. <laughs> Nobody? Nobody knows the rest? Time he kangaroo down. No, tan his hide when he died, Clyde, and that's it hanging on that's the shed. hanging on the shed. All I know the other that song. Day, <laughs> I know that one, yeah. All right, there we go. So, uh, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Something from space.com. Earth emits an ear-piercing series of chirps and whistles that could be heard by aliens who might be listening, astronomers have discovered. The sound is awful. A new recording from this, from space reveals that scientists have known about for about the radiation since the 1970s it is created by high oh, there we go sorry about that folks it is created high above the planet where charged particles from the solar wind collide with the earth's magnetic field it is related to the phenomenon that generates the colorful aurora or the northern lights the radio waves are blocked by the ionosphere and change the top layer of our atmosphere so they do not reach earth that's good because out of this world radio waves are 10,000 times stronger than even the strongest military signal researchers said and they would have overwhelmed radio stations on this planet theorists have long figured the radio waves which were not well studied oozed into space in an ever widening cone like light from a torch but new data from the European Space Agency Clusters missions group of uh, high-flying satellites revealed bursts of radio waves head off into the cosmos in a beam-like fashion instead. 
That means that there are more detectable than anyone might be listening. There are more out there that uh, other people might be detecting. So, I mean, who would have thought that the Earth was screaming? Maybe it's because they've been listening to the show. <laughs> or, or me trying to read something tonight. <laughs> hey, it's late. It's tired. You're tired. It's yeah, late. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> either way. Either way it works. All right, Keith, what do you have for us? From the Telegraph in the U.K., a license to create human pig embryos to study heart disease has been issued, marking the third animal-human hybrid embryo license to be issued by the U.K.'s Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority and the first since the House of Commons voted in favor of the controversial research last month. The license will give the Clinical Sciences Research Institute at the University of Warwick 12 months to attempt to make human pig clones to produce embryonic stem cells. Embryonic stem cells can be manipulated into the 200-plus types of other cells found throughout the human body. Researchers will take skin cells from patients who have a mutation for certain kinds of heart disease and put them into pig eggs after their chromosomes have been removed. They will then make embryos so that they can attempt to derive embryonic stem cells, which will allow them to study some of the molecular mechanisms associated with these heart diseases. A team in Newcastle has already created hybrids with cow eggs to study the basics of how the use of gene changes in early development, while a group in London has worked with a range of species to generate stem cells from people with neurodegenerative disorders. So is this a sequel to Jurassic Park? Well, maybe. Well, you know why I gave you that story, Keith? Because that comes from the Warwick over in the UK, you know, the University of Warwick, where they're trying to make these human-pig hybrids. Mm-hmm. And then I figured you come from the Warwick over here in the US, where there are a lot of human-pig hybrids already walking around. That's true. So you're saying we should uh, continue the research in Warwick, Rhode Island. There you go. I just had to make my mandatory Rhode Island shot whenever we have a Rhode <laughs> well, Island guest go. in the studio. I really appreciate ask, it. <laughs> ask Andy Lake about that. He'll tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, there you have it, folks, the Week in Weird. If you have a story you'd like to submit for the Week in Weird, just go to the message. I'm sorry, the forum at SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the Week in Weird thread, drop the story in there, and if we use it on the air, we will give you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker, which, uh, you know, this time of year you can use uh, to stick on your motorcycle or your moped or your bicycle, whatever it is you're using to save gas. So uh, we'll be right back with more talking about demonology with Keith Johnson here in the studio and Dr. William Bradshaw on the phone. We'll be right back. In just a few months. Soothing tones of John Sakata, <laughs> which I still insist was on Matt Costa's iPod long before I suggested using it for this uh, subject we're going to talk about here tonight. But just to let everybody know, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and you click on the latest news page, there's a little YouTube video up there that Matt Moniz and I made this past Monday. Uh, we went to Forestdale, Massachusetts, right outside Otis Air Force Base. 
Uh, it's time for the uh, every 17-year infestation of the periodical cicadas. So that's why we played a little John Cicada there. Uh, these big bugs, I mean, you want to talk about demons. They, they look like something from hell. Uh, they're these huge, grotesque uh, locusts that come out every 17 years, and we made a little short film about them. So if you go to the latest news page on SpookySouthCoast.com, you can check that out. But now let's get back into the discussion about demonology with tonight's guest, Dr. William Bradshaw. He is a demonologist and author of Sinister Among Us. You can pick up his book. Uh, either click on the link on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com or you can go to SinisterAmongUs.com and he has links to all the various websites where you can pick up the book as well. Uh, now, Dr. Bradshaw, we were talking earlier about people who might be demonically possessed, but what if somebody is uh, and you have to go through the process of an exorcism? What, what can be done? Many people don't understand that uh, an exorcism, uh, for the most part, is something that takes a period of four, five, six days and uh, involves a team of people working together. So it's not, you know, it's not just the, the one-man show that a lot of people think they can rush into this themselves. Uh, a lot of these, quote-unquote, demonologists that are in paranormal groups think that they can conduct their own exorcism just by bringing a, a Bible, some holy water, and reciting some prayer? Uh, I would say that uh, my position or my research would suggest that uh, in such an instance, either the person really wasn't demon-possessed or there was not a true exorcism that, uh, that took place. Uh, when, when you have somebody that is truly demon-possessed, the thing you worry most of you, you, you worry about two things. One, during the exorcism, the safety of the person from whom the demon is being driven, especially if that person is a child or relatively young and doesn't have the, uh, the mental uh, experience and stability to think through things with you, uh, and then also is the safety of the person or persons performing the exorcism. And so what you will do is you will need a team of people. Uh, you will usually have the head exorcist and then uh, who will get the team together. And usually the head exorcist will have a second exorcist uh, there on the team who approaches exorcism a little differently than he does. Uh, the theory being that, you know, some people respond to one person and some to another. So a really good exorcist will have a backup who approaches it a little differently as a member of the team. Uh, you will have a, a priest there, uh, and if not there all the time, the team members must be readily available. Uh, but you'll have uh, spiritual questions arise and you need a priest there. Uh, you're going to worry about the, the medical safety of the person and you're going to need a doctor available either there or readily, quickly available. You're going to need a counselor, a, uh, a psychologist or a psychiatrist available. And then Usually, what you will do is, during the day, you will work with the person, and at night, uh, the team will get together and figure out what they did right today and what they need to do tomorrow. And so you've got to worry about this person being taken care of, so you need at least a couple of caregivers 
They're going to see that the person is safe, that they're fed, that they're bathed, and things like that. And uh, an exorcism uh, takes four, five, six days, and it's a very detailed process, and uh, it takes a team of people to do it. Now, I, I remember reading somewhere uh, at some point, and I, I'm pretty sure it was nonfiction, but there was an exorcism being taken place, and the person was not Catholic, was not even Christian in their belief, but the exorcist that they had brought in was, and they brought in two other uh, Catholic priests to be part of the team, and the person who was having the exorcism kept protesting, saying, you know, I'm not Catholic, I don't want a Catholic priest as part of this, and the exorcist's response was, but I am, and I need someone here for, for my faith. Do you feel that the exorcist's faith can be tested just as well as the person that's being possessed? Uh, now, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I come from the Ozarks of southwestern Missouri, and uh, I grew up uh, in the Bible Belt area, and uh, some of my good conservative friends find fault with me at, uh, at this point, but there is absolutely no question that the Roman Catholic Church has been the leader in the study of demonology. Uh, people don't realize that when there is an exorcism authorized by the Catholic Church, it is a requirement that a written transcript is kept just like a court trial of what went on. Oh. Now they are doing uh, uh, videos as well as uh, the written transcript. The written transcript must still be kept. That's been going on for centuries. Uh, you can get your hands on those. They're difficult. They're kept uh, uh, privacy. Uh, if you have a good reason, you can uh, sometimes get one. It's very interesting to uh, to uh, to read them. Uh, people don't realize that uh, uh, Pope uh, John Paul uh, II in the 90s, I think it was about 1992, issued a papal edict that said every diocese in the world must have a properly trained and certified exorcist. Well, you say, does every diocese have one? No. But the smaller dioceses that have limited resources will have arrangements with another diocese. And the current pope now uh, has uh, just uh, appointed a new person uh, in the Vatican to recruit and uh, train more exorcists because he feels that uh, the church does not have enough qualified exorcists. I don't know of any Protestant denomination that trains, really trains and certifies their exorcists. Uh, we tend, um, and I don't mean this in a, uh, in a bad way with anyone, uh, but we tend to... Uh, at the end of the service of, of a service to have an altar call and we kind of treat the sick people uh, and those possessed with demons we kind of lump them all together and uh, clearly in the New Testament for example Jesus makes a clear distinction between those who are ill and those who are demon possessed and I think there is a clear distinction between faith healing and casting out of demons and uh, so uh, uh, certainly there can be and there are exorcists of other faiths, but 
my advice to anyone would be uh, if you think that a friend of yours or a family member of yours is demon-possessed, I would contact uh, a Catholic diocese. And my experience with the Catholic diocese is that they will uh, respond uh, with the kind of an exorcist that is needed for the person, depending upon whether he's a Baptist or a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian, that they will choose an exorcist that will communicate best with a person of that theological orientation. All right, well, we have a couple of calls here on the line. Uh, why don't we go right to the phones? Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. William Bradshaw. How you doing? Hi. How are you? All right. Um, yeah, I concur with what, what Dr. Bradshaw says. Uh, I was listening to this program uh, last year uh, in October, and you had someone on, uh, uh, Father Daniel John Gagulia, mm -hmm. and um, he mentioned several things uh, in, in this frame. And uh, one in particular, uh, I copied it down because it was uh, my computer was working at the time, and I was able to prayers against uh, Satan and the uh, rebellious angels by uh, Pope Leo III. Mm -hmm. So it goes way back. But I have a question: um, Do you know that? Do you know if uh, demons can uh, be uh, hereditary or pass through in a family? Uh, no, it is up to Satan to determine where that demon is going to be. Uh -huh. Many times the question is asked, well, if a person dies, what happens to that demon? Mm. Uh, does the demon go to a family member, or uh, what does Satan do? Satan decides whether or not he wants that person to uh, possess another individual that's very uh, carrying on the same type of work that the one who has died was doing or whether he wants a completely new mission but I satan a, a demon is responsible to satan as an angel is responsible to god uh-huh very good thank you thank you yeah. thank you for calling good evening you're on spooky south coast with dr william bradshaw how are you hey hi tim it's chris hey chris hey um I understand. I read somewhere where it said Mother Teresa had received at least two or three exorcisms before she died. Does your guest know anything about that? Uh, I uh, do not know anything about that, and I do not think that the uh, uh, I do not think that the Catholic Church would say that that's very likely. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, she would uh, have gone through certain rites that any Catholic would go to, and especially someone of, uh, of a saintly nature, as she certainly was, I don't think that they would have thought that she was demon-possessed and therefore needed to be exercised. Ah, okay. How do you feel about um, baptism, uh, and, um, and how does it protect you against this negative world? I don't think that... Uh, um, I don't think that an actual baptism, simply the sprinkling of water or the uh, immersion of the person, does anything without the faith of the person that, uh, that, that goes along with it. We think really of baptism as being the initiation uh, into the Christian family, uh, the 
Christian family referring to the church, uh, to the Christian church and to the particular church that you're belonging to. Now, I know in the Christian church, uh, in, in the Catholic church, uh, they would approach this a little differently and uh, uh, there uh, would not necessarily need to be uh, the response of faith by a baby because the baby can't respond but it would be the job of the parents and the godparents to respond in faith and therefore this would uh, need to happen uh, you have the doctrine of original sin and the baptism washing that away uh, Protestants uh, tend not to uh, uh, adhere to that doctrine uh, the Catholic Church does uh, so really it depends upon where you're coming from as to what baptism will do. But baptism, just a sprinkling of water without the response of faith by somebody, uh, I do not think uh, will protect you. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for calling. Okay, good night. Have a good night. All right, if you have any questions for Dr. Bradshaw, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, no. I was going to say, I have a question for you. Do you think, is this Keith? No, this is Matt. All right. Do you think a place can be possessed by a demon? No. An object, okay. No. Can you explain to me why you think that? Uh, because uh, uh, evil spirits tend to, uh, tend to uh, possess people, and um, we believe that uh, Satan... Uh, has uh, a limited number of demons. He doesn't have just an an unlimited supply, and that he's not going to uh, uh, use a demon to uh, uh, possess a place. Because uh, the real thing that happens, uh, the way he uh, he creates real havoc, is by uh, creating. Uh, by entering into people who cause problems and do things which are frowned upon and uh, lead other people astray. Now, uh, if you get into, uh, and, and and I am not an authority on ghosts, I do not mean to be uh, an authority on, uh, on ghosts, though uh, certainly when you're studying demonology you get into that field some. Uh, I do believe that ghosts can uh, be in a place and live in a place, but a demon uh, lives in a human. Dr. Bradshaw, this is Keith. Yes. Uh, yes. Now, there's one question that I've been asked repeatedly over the years, and my wife Sandra and I have received email after email after email, literally dozens and dozens each month. The question is, how do I become a demonologist? Now, we were asked that question so frequently that finally I typed out the answer. We put it up on our website, and we still receive emails periodically. How do I become a demonologist? And, and of course, I explained that I never went. I studied, but I never went to school. I never took any official scholastics on it. And uh, my experience comes from years of dealing with this, plus faith. I'm guided by faith. But uh, you seem to also bring a different perspective on this. So how would you answer the question somebody asks you, and I'm sure you get this question too, how do I become a demonologist? Well, this would uh, determine as to uh, 
what kind of a demonologist? For example, you have an MD, and we know there's a general practitioner and a surgeon and ear, nose, and throat specialist, and down the list we go. I do not claim to be a practitioner. I do not claim to be an exorcist. Uh, I claim to be a scholar of demonology. Uh, I claim to have studied the history of demonology to see how it has evolved, uh, how what has happened, uh, what different people uh, have believed about it. I'm a scholar of demonology and uh, on into a scholar of exorcism and uh, the uh, effects of demon possession, I do not claim to be one who casts demons out. So uh, you certainly uh, would qualify, I would think, uh, as a historian uh, in uh, demonology. You would be a demonologist uh, depending upon what you have done, uh, what your activities are, uh, what you have studied. So uh, it's uh, it's what kind of a demonologist that somebody might be. Oh, thank you very much. That's an excellent answer. Also, I was wondering to get your take on the origin of demons, because a lot of people don't speak on that, I feel, enough. And uh, what is your take on the origin of the demonic realm? Well, this is very interesting because uh, if you look in the New Testament, I mean, the very first story after Jesus is baptized, he's led into the wilderness, into the desert area, area to be tempted by Satan. And we know in the New Testament that, boy, uh, there is great uh, activity. You have Satan, the devil, and incidentally, uh, I don't know whether people realize this, Satan is the Hebrew form of the word. The devil is the Greek form of the word. They both mean the same, so whether I'm saying Satan or the devil, I'm referring to the same entity. But in the New Testament, you have really, really heavy demonic activity. Uh, I happen to uh, go back, uh, uh, I happen to be one of the scholars that believe that demonology as such does not exist in the Old Testament. In other words, you don't have evil spirits independent of God. People immediately say, well, what about the story of uh, of, uh, of Job and Satan. Well, in the book of Job, Satan's not an evil spirit. He's an angel of God. And his job is much like the modern-day prosecuting attorney. Uh, his job was to find uh, uh, sin, to find uh, things that were going astray, and to call it to God's attention and to bring a case against the person. Now, what Satan did in the book of Job was uh, what some prosecuting attorneys do today. They get carried away with their job, and they become overzealous. But we have no indication that, uh, that, that Satan is an individual evil spirit separated from God. He's an angel of God. I've already said earlier that there's no indication that the uh, serpent in the Garden of Eden uh, was, uh, was an evil spirit. It was a, metaphoric, um, a metaphorical uh, term. Uh, the, uh, the, the snake was a slimy, slippery thing, and so it was natural for the writer to refer to this as having led uh, uh, Eve astray, but not as an evil spirit. People say, well, what about Lucifer? Well, Lucifer isn't an evil spirit. 
Lucifer is a name that means the bringer of light, and it was uh, used uh, to refer to morning stars and planets and popular leaders, and it wasn't until about 250 A.D. that some people decided that Lucifer was an evil spirit. And so uh, you have in the Old Testament no existence of demons, and here in the New Testament, so what you had to do, or what I had to do, was to look in between the Old and the New Testament and see what happened in what we call the intertestamental period, the time from about 200 B.C. to about 50 A.D., what happened in that 250-year period. Looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls, looked at the rabbinic literature, the rabbinic literature uh, would be 120 volumes of essays and sermons by uh, uh, the uh, various Hebrew people and their thoughts, and you looked at all kinds of things to see where this came about. And what you have is uh, Satan uh, in the Old Testament. The word is adversary, and it's always used with the... Uh, uh, article and it's the adversary, the Satan, uh, the one who leads you, uh, who uh, who uh, uh, challenges you. But in this intertestamental period, gradually, through Greek influence uh, and uh, through Persian influence, the Satan becomes a proper name, and the V is dropped, and it becomes Satan, and the evil spirits. Uh, uh, there's a story of the fallen angels. That's not a biblical story. That comes out of the book of Enoch, uh, which was a book uh, written in uh, about 200, uh, 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 no, about 100 uh, A.D., uh, 100 B.C., uh, by a Jewish uh, man uh, who was considered a heretic, and he writes this story about uh, angels looking down and seeing pretty women and all of that. That's not a biblical story at all. The reason most of us know it is because of Paradise Lost, the poem that John Milton uh, wrote. So what we have is a gradual emergence from no independent evil spirits in the religious faith into the complete domination by Satan and uh, it just was something that happened as the Hebrew people were uh, traveling and got out of their own little area and became exposed to other ways. Little by little, this belief began to become uh, ingrained in them, and uh, we certainly know it was very prevalent in the Christian church. So it's a gradual, uh, gradual thing, and we cannot find the origin of demons. Very long answer. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. And then, of course, there's the mystery of Genesis 6, where it says that the uh, sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and so on and so on. But uh, there's a question that I'm frequently asked, and this is... I'd like to get your take on this. All can, right. Can a demon kill a person? Oh, yes. You, you do believe that? Uh, or uh, 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 the uh, movie The Exorcist, the original movie, came out in the 70s. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen it or not. Yes, I have. But, I've uh, seen but, it. But, but, but at the end, for example, now, here, 
There's no question that it uh, was a Hollywood movie, and they went overboard with some things. But I give the movie very high marks for having a lot of basic truth in it. And at the end, uh, the priest who is performing the exorcist, uh, the exorcism is attacked by the demon and thrown out the window and, uh, and dies. And there's no question that a demon has the, the, the force and the power to cause someone to die. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that very much. Well, I've enjoyed uh, being able to exchange ideas with you. And I, I hope to meet you in person someday. That would truly be an honor, Dr. Bradshaw. Oh, well, you're most kind. And uh, uh, look, I get to the East Coast periodically, and I hope that you get out here in the Midwest some. Uh, I live in Chesterfield, Missouri, which is really St. Louis, Missouri. It's just a suburb of, uh, of St. Louis. Well, I'll certainly keep in touch with you, sir. Uh, good. I would like that. Great. All right. Why don't we take our last commercial break of the night, and then when we come back, more with uh, Dr. William Bradshaw on the subject of demonology and your calls at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Lock the doors and pull down the shade. Geek South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, sci- uh, silent assassin Matt Costa. I almost called you a Scientologist. That would have been strange. Uh, silent assassin Matt Costa and... Keith Johnson of New England Anomalies Research. Check out his website at nearparanormal.com. But we are talking with Dr. William Bradshaw, author of Sinister Among Us, a, a fictional novel which deals in a college which is p- possessed uh, under the influence, we'll say, of uh, demons. And he's used it as a way to kind of bring demonology to the layperson. Uh, Dr. Bradshaw, what has the response been from those who have read the book? Uh, have you heard a lot? Have a lot of people contacted you and said, "Hey, based on what I've read in this book here that you wrote, I think that somebody that I know may have been possessed." Have you been getting a lot of those emails and, and phone calls? I have gotten some. Uh, the uh, thing that uh, I have appreciated most of all is the uh, great number of people who said. Uh, uh, you, in a very down-to-earth way, covered a scholarly subject in the way that I can understand that I never understood before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, received uh, some criticism from my conservative religious friends who think that I was a little unfair to them and overly uh, uh, kind to the Catholic Church. I'd already mentioned that. But basically, the response has been favorable, and certainly there have been people who have said, uh, you know, where should I go for help? And uh, uh, so, uh, But, that, I mean, the reverse it. of that, too, though, have you, have you run into people who would say, you know, well, I, I think that I might know somebody that might be possessed, but then again, this is a fictional novel. I mean, have, has anybody kind of turned that tide on you and said, you know, it's, it's fiction, so it doesn't really have to be research? Has anybody ever tried to... To question what it is that you wrote, uh, that uh, that that has happened. 
uh, and many times people will say, well, you've uh, spun a good tale and you've kind of created a little bit of interest or you have made this, uh, or you have made the subject of demonology sound, uh, reputable and creditable, though we know it's not. Once in a while, things like that. And when I get more emails that are, uh, oh, nasty or a little uh, flippant, uh, than I do conversations. Well, that happens quite a bit. It's, it's real easy to hide behind an email address, I find. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, in your experiences uh, working with colleges, uh, did you encounter a campus where you think there might have been the influence of the demonic? I can tell you that every single incident, every incident in that book, without exception, has taken place. I know it for a fact. And uh, I have changed uh, uh, some things. But certainly the, uh, the college description, uh, I know for a fact, as a college president at two colleges, that every incident in that book has happened on a college campus. Well, there you go. You have to pick up the book now, folks, so you can find out exactly what he's talking about. And also so you can get essentially what amounts to being a primer in demonology in a, in a well-spun tale. So Sinister Among Us is the name of the book, SinisterAmongUs.com is the website. You can also purchase it wherever you get books online, including SpookySouthCoast.com. We have it right up there on the front page. Dr. Bradshaw, we'd like to thank you for joining us, and we hope that you'll come back and, and talk more with us again sometime. I would be very pleased to, and I, uh, I want to tell you, uh, Tim, that I've been interviewed on many programs, and I uh, think this, I would put at the top of the list on the way that you've conducted it, uh, the dignity with which you've done it. Uh, you've uh, obviously done your homework, and you have other people there who are knowledgeable, and it's been just a real pleasure to be on your program. Well, thank I, you very much, I sir. can't always say that, but I certainly can whole, wholeheartedly say that tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All right, and you take care, and, and definitely keep in touch. Is there is there another book coming down the pipeline? or? Uh, there is, but not on demonology. Okay. Well, just let us know, because I'll, I'll certainly be interested in checking it out. Thank you very much. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. That is Dr. William Bradshaw, author of Sinister Among Us. Be sure to check it out because, you know, it's, it's and if, as you guys can see, it's it's a very large novel. It's a very good, good yeah. So pick it up now and you can use it for summer reading at the beach. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it'll get to you, but I don't think it'll necessarily keep you up at night. So don't be afraid to read it before you go to bed. But uh, it is a very uh, chilling story when he tells you that, you know, all these incidents have happened on campuses that I know about. So it uh, makes you think of what's going on. And, and I just I don't want to ruin it for people, but one of the um, things that's going on is there's actually a prostitution ring going on at the college. So that's uh, Matt Moniz is like, I've been to a couple of different colleges, and I never <laughs> went to that one. Sorority day. He says right? disappointingly. <laughs> but uh, there you go. Sinister Among Us is the name of the book. Dr. William Bradshaw. Keith Johnson, thank you for coming in and joining us in the studio and offering your uh, expertise and knowledge on the subject of demonology. Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime, Tim. You know I'm here for you. Absolutely. And nearparanormal.com is your website, and hopefully you can come back and join us on this big special event we got coming up on July 26th. We, uh, we'll, we'll let people know more about that next week because we're still putting together a few details, but it's going to be monumental. My question is, who you got coming up on Ghosts Are Near? Well, we've got Dan Gordon, who you're familiar with. Yeah. He's been on your show, and we're going to be interviewing him on Haunted Baseball. So we we'll look forward to that. There you go. Nice guy. Yeah. Very nice guy. 
All right. Well, we will be back next week. Matt Moniz is going to be getting ready to go to TapsCon, but uh, we'll be here with a program for you. Uh, just be sure to check us out. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com for all the updates. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Keith Johnson, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Supernaturalist.